If you will, indulge me just for a moment as we go to the word. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. That's my assignment today. Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. When you got it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. <laughs> so good to be with you. Romans chapter 14, hopefully our campuses are ready, Waterbury, Atlanta, hopefully you guys are ready. Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, and it reads, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. <laughs> Just bear with me. Just bear with me. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Praise God. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Amen. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which Pastor Frank talked about last week. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, I'm going to say right there, you don't have to force me to bow down. I will bow down right now willingly because I know that he's the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, and beside him there is no other. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore underline this or highlight this. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. 
all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Now, we think up until this point, he's just talking about eating and days. I thank God that the Bible speaks to us even in this time. Watch this. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything. Look at your neighbor and say anything. Anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Come on, this is a good word. I want to talk to you for a few moments from the subject matter, conviction versus consideration. Conviction versus consideration. Paul put it another way. All things are lawful or all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to dive into your word. Use me as your servant. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive to what you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing and indulging me. So when we look at conviction versus consideration, I think about a story that was told in the Victorian era in England. There were two men, two prominent, powerful men of God. One of them was Charles Spurgeon. How many of you have heard of him? Charles Spurgeon. Another man was Joseph Parker. And these two men were powerful men of God during that time. They would exchange pulpits. They would fellowship together and talk about the word, break bread together. But there came a time where they had a disagreement. And how many of you know in the body of Christ, sometimes we're going to have some disagreements about various things. Now, there are some things that are clear cut. Are, are, are very explicit, like share with us exactly what needs to be done in the Bible, but there are some areas that are gray. And Spurgeon was accusing Parker of being unscriptural and not mature in the faith because he went to the theater at the time where operas were conducted and plays and things of that nature. He was accusing him of being unscriptural for going to the theater. But all the while... All the while, Parker or, or uh, Spurgeon was accusing Parker all the while while he was smoking cigars, which some Christians would consider to be an abhorrent or would be ungodly. So the question is, who was right? Who was wrong? Were they both wrong? And these were some of the questions that I want to deal with today, because even though we may disagree Is it possible that we cannot enter into the mode of being disagreeable? Are you with me? And this was the task that Paul had before him. And this was not an easy task, but it was one in which I love Paul for it because he broke this down with various churches. And that's what I want to deal with today. And I I mean, I know it's difficult trying to get three kids out the house. So let alone some adults to come together and operate in unity, even though they may have some disagreements about various things not clearly outlined in the word of God. Are you with me? So the first point that I want to make, and if you'll give me some time, I want to set the stage 
for what I want to minister on today. And I want to lay some groundwork, give you some context, if that's okay. Is that all right with you? Come on. First point that I want to make is our backgrounds shape our convictions. Our backgrounds shape our convictions, how we were raised, the neighborhood that we grew up in. Some of us, it could be the church background that we had or no church background at all. It shaped the way our convictions are. To give you an example, I can remember seeing pictures of myself being baptized as a little baby, having on this nice white suit, like curly hair, looking good. You know, I can remember this. (laughs) But at the time, looking back, I had no idea what was going on. And I believe and we believe in baby dedication versus baby baptism. In other words, dedicating a child unto the Lord in hopes that one day they will choose the Lord. Are you with me? Because if you look at Romans chapter 6, and if you look at Matthew, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, it's clearly understood before somebody can get water baptized, they must be saved as a Christian. That is the prerequisite for giving your life to Christ. And it's our first act of obedience as a Christian. But some of us may have that background, and we can't discredit our backgrounds. Because many times what we were raised up in still helped shape us for where we are today. Not all of it was bad. Some things created disciplines in us. Some created good convictions. But oftentimes they can create bad convictions that are not scriptural. Are you with me? And so as we look at this scripture, when he's talking about, when Paul is speaking to this audience, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jews. And when he was ministering to them, you have the Jews that were very religious, had the law, had the covenants. They were God's chosen people, as we read about in the Old Testament. They had very strict laws that they adhered to. But then you have the Gentiles, non-Jews, who come into the faith by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they don't have these laws, they don't have these covenants, they came in by placing their faith in Jesus, how do the two of these get along? And what things do they keep, and what things do they throw away or let go of? Now, we know that Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. A lot of what we read in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing and a type of what was to come in the New Testament. Are you guys with me? I like to put it this way. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but the New Testament, I mean, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Are you with me? So when we look at eating, the Jews felt that there were certain foods that were unclean. God prescribed this in the Old Testament because he wanted his people to be distinct from other nations, along with circumcision and along many other things. He wanted them to be distinct. But God gave me a revelation a while back when I studied the book of Acts in chapter 10. The Bible says that Peter was on the rooftop of a house and he was praying. And he fell into a trance. Now, mind you, he grew up as a Jew, so he understood that there were certain foods that were unclean, but there was something else that he discovered in that moment. So he's on this roof, and he's praying. He falls into a trance, and the Bible says that there's a sheet that comes down from heaven. Must have been a long sheet. (laughs) That came down from heaven, and on this sheet were different animals that were unclean. And God says something that blew his mind. Peter, I want you to eat. 
And Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. But then God said to him, why are you calling unclean what I have cleansed? And what he was speaking of was Gentiles because the Jews thought that Gentiles were unclean. And there was a lot of division between the two. So we understand that it wasn't just about food, but it was about people. Are you with me? And even though these Gentiles came into the faith and they didn't have all of these rules and regulations, how were they to get along with the Jews who had all of these commandments and laws and prohibitions against doing certain things? How could they mesh together? That was the difficult task that Paul had before him. He also talked about days. There were many ceremonial days that were represented in the Old Testament. One that you're probably familiar with is the Sabbath day because it's mentioned in the Ten Commandments. But can I submit something to you? What if the Sabbath day was never meant to be a day but a place? Come on. (laughs) Are you with me? Waterbury, Atlanta, are you guys with me? What if it was meant to be a day and not a place? Because I don't know about you, if I have to wait till Saturday, which was the Sabbath day represented in the Old Testament, but I need some rest Monday through Friday, I'm in trouble. But I've come to realize that my God, in him, I live, move, and have my being, and he is my rest. And and Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdensome, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy, or, or my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So I have a rest in him. However, if it's going to cause my Jewish brother to stumble, I'll worship with you on the Sabbath day. But I'm not going to leave my rest there. My rest is going to be with me the whole week. Also, if this is going to bother you, me eating some barbecue, because I love some ribs now. (laughs) I come from Texas, man. We got to have some burgers and ribs, all right? I love this. But if it's going to cause somebody to stumble... If it's going to cause somebody to fall, I would rather not do it around them lest I cause them to fall. Are you with me? But you would think that they're just talking about food. They're just talking about days. But then Paul drops the bombshell when he says, if anything offends your brother or sister, refrain from it. If it's going to cause them to stumble. And let's face it, in this walk with God, there are arguments on both sides to certain issues. Watch this. Point number two, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. As we grow in the Lord, we're going to discover that there's things that we used to feel were okay. But now, several years later, or maybe even several months, I don't feel right about doing that anymore. How many of you have been in that place? The places I used to go, The people I used to hang out with, the conversations that would come out of my mouth, God is working on me. That's why you can never judge anything before it's time because all of us are in the sanctification process. God's working on us. But we have to be careful. Knowledge puffs up. So we're going to grow in knowledge and we're going to discover things that the Lord convicts us about. But we have to be ever so careful unless it is clearly outlined in scripture not to put our convictions on other people. And realize that we've been liberated, we've been free. Many of us in this room have probably been in backgrounds that, 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 that basically excluded certain areas of dress. There were certain laws and certain restrictions that were man-made but had nothing to do with the word of God. Are you with me? There is a freedom in Christ 
There's a liberty in Christ, but Paul's point in all of his letters, don't allow your liberty to become a stumbling block to someone else. Even though you've experienced this liberation, don't allow that to cause somebody's relationship with Christ to be hindered. Some of the questionable things that we can talk about, tattoos, for example. Oh, this is a hot debate. Some will say in the Old Testament, it says you shall, not, you shall not make carvings in your flesh to represent the dead or to be like the other nations. But then people in the New Testament will say, well, we're under this new dispensation of grace and we're under this new covenant with better promises. Where do we, where do we find ourselves? I've landed on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says that you were bought with the price. He says you were bought with a price and your life is not your own. So if you're going to do anything to your body, consult the Lord first. And if you're under 18, consult your mom and dad. And if you're over 18, still living with your parents, consult your parents. (laughs) Devil is a lie. (laughs) Consult and get wisdom. Sometimes people talk about alcohol. Is it wrong? Well, we know that the Bible clearly condemns getting drunk. It talks about this in Proverbs chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. It talks about being drunk. It even says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. So we understand this. That's clear. But what if I want to have a casual glass of wine with my husband or with my wife or, 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 or with some friends? The thing is, be led by the Holy Spirit. Because even though you may have a liberty to do this, is it possible that the person that you're with or somebody in the vicinity may have a struggle in this area? Is it possible that they could have came out of a lifestyle or a family upbringing where they experienced family members who were drunk and took it out on them? So we have to be mindful of the fact that even though I have this liberty, even though I have this conviction, be considerate of somebody else and what it is that they could be going through. Not trying to judge you, not trying to condemn you, but what's the most important thing? Souls, getting people saved, helping people grow in their walk with the Lord. And it's not so much the actual behavior itself, but it's what it leads to. It's what it can develop into. Because sometimes a casual drink can run into something a whole lot deeper. And then you find yourself winning an addiction over years and years and years looking to get free. Are you guys with me? Areas of alcohol. Also, you have situations that arise when it comes to music. One of the greatest things, like when I first got saved, that the Lord convicted me about was a certain music that I was listening to. Did you know that Lucifer was in heaven and he led worship? He led worship. He became Satan through his pride and his fall, but he was a beautiful angel. That's why the Bible says he comes as an angel of light, but we're not ignorant of his devices. But Lucifer was a beautiful angel, and he led worship. So is it any coincidence that he would use music to deceive this generation? Is it any coincidence that he would use what's coming into our ears to seep into our hearts and cause us to fall away? You know, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Birds of a feather flock together. You are the company that you keep. Maybe you heard that from your grandmother. Come on. But we got to be careful. So when I came into the faith, 
I knew that if my perspective of women was going to change, I had to change the way that I thought. If God was going to bring me this wonderful bride, I had to get, I had to become the one so God could bring me the one. Come on, somebody. I had to become the one so that God could bring me the one. So I had to get to a place where I was purified in my heart and my motives were right. And God told me, I want you to throw all this stuff away. Now, looking back, I'm like, man, I could have taken this to a music store, gotten like $200, $300. But you know what? God spoke to me and said, you know what? I don't want you to give that to anyone else, that junk. I don't want you to give that to anyone else. And watch this. I did not have a scripture at the time. But I had a groaning, a conviction in my spirit. The Holy Spirit was ministering to me. Brandon, I want you to do this. And I walked in obedience. And later on, God shared with me Philippians 4, 8, which says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Sometimes you may not have a scripture, but you have a conviction. And sometimes you have to be led by those convictions and the scripture may come later and God's wanting to give you a scripture, but will you step out in faith and trust me? Because you may not have time to look it up with the various situations that you're going through. You need a right now answer in this situation. God's speaking to you. Working with the youth, there's a lot of video games that are out there. Don't let me step on anyone's toes. A lot of these shootings that take place, you would be surprised at the testimonies of kids that have said it was a video game that influenced them. Parents... As a youth pastor, as a youth pastor, as a youth pastor for over 11 years, you have got to be mindful of what's being done on those electronic devices. Waterbury, Atlanta, if there's any parents there, you have to be mindful of what your kids are watching, of what they're listening to. I'm sorry, who pays your bill? Do you pay this bill? Then I always have a right to your cell phone. I always have a right to your electronics. And like, you can come to me and say you don't trust me. Who pays the bill? When you start paying your own bill, get to stepping. <laughs> but watch this. You don't know how many times I've sat in counseling sessions with parents and their children. Parents were clueless. Parents were clueless. And mind you, things are changing every day. There's something new every day. There's some new social media, uh, something new on social media. But we got to be mindful. And this goes for all of us. When we talk about conviction versus consideration, how we project ourselves on social media could cause somebody to stumble. Now, I know you're getting your workout on. And I know you're looking good and like been losing weight and been toning up. But be mindful of what you put out there because you could cause some brothers to fall. You could cause some sisters to fall. Can I get a witness? Like, don't, don't shout me down there, all right? But the Bible says, he that looks upon a woman or man to lust after them has already committed adultery with them in their heart. And I'm just going to be real with y'all. Men, we're stimulated by what we see. All the men said amen. We're stimulated by what we see. And I want my eyes to be focused on this woman here on the front row and nobody else. So I understand that there are certain things that I can't watch. We could even be sitting down, maybe watching a show together, and it may be okay for her to watch this, but I can't watch that. And not only that, you could be watching something together, and that could cause something to happen later, but the Bible says in Hebrews 
that marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. It remains undefiled as long as no outside influences come in to contaminate the bed. Be careful what you allow into your home. God does not need none of this extra stuff. He created it and he can bless it. Come on, somebody. Look at what Paul says to further emphasize this point in 1 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, but beware somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? The point that he's making is what would happen is these Jews would come out of these religions where there was a lot of worship of idols. And even though we know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, as long as we receive something with thanksgiving, we can eat it, right? But even in that, we got to be careful to eat in moderation. Because sometimes the Lord may convict you about something, as I talked about earlier, about a certain food because of a certain disease that's been rampant in your family line. Maybe he's causing you to abstain from something, even though you have the freedom to eat what you want, but in your conviction, you feel like, you know what? I feel like the Lord is telling me to stay away from this. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but he's telling me to stay away from this. Obey that. Obey that conviction from the Lord and be mindful. But they would be coming out of this lifestyle. And if they had knowledge that these foods are being offered to idols and there's other religions, even now where there's worship of idols, there's food given to idols. And basically what Paul was saying is, if you have knowledge that this was offered to idols and you know that that could offend your brother or sister who just came out of this, don't eat it. Even though you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything is sanctified by prayer and with thanksgiving, refrain from doing it lest you cause them to stumble. And on the flip side, don't ask questions. Just eat. Pray over it and eat it. One of the things that's very prevalent in our day and age is... The downplay of marriage. I see this all the time. The downplay of marriage. That marriage is, you know what? We'll get married in the future. We'll just kind of work things out. We'll do a prenuptial agreement. We'll kind of test the waters. We'll test drive. We'll live married. We'll do all these different things. But marriage is something later on down the road. But you're missing something. And hear my heart as a pastor. The Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. You know, there's a scripture in James says that sometimes we ask amiss on top of our behavior. Is it possible that breakthrough isn't happening in your life because you are failing to be obedient to God in a specific area? The scripture says he that finds wife also says marriage is honorable. We can read in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about when a man and a woman play their role correctly in marriage, that they become a witness to the world of the relationship between Christ and his church. If they play their roles correctly, if I love my wife like Christ loves the church, I can illustrate to the world how Christ loves his church. And though we're both submitting to one another, it also says for the woman when she submits to her husband as he submits unto the Lord, both of them. Become a witness to the world. And neither role is easy. I have to love you like Christ loves the church. I have to be willing to go to the cross. I have to be willing to die to my flesh. I have to be willing to serve you. If Adam served Eve, the fall probably would have never happened. Little side note. If Adam served Eve instead of Eve allowing her to serve him, the fall probably would have never happened. And he was right there. 
She gave it to him and he ate and he didn't assume his role and position. And what's difficult or what's ironic is, and I'm not trying to come down on any men in this room because there's a lot of things that I had to learn and I'm still learning. But a lot of men are not assuming that role even now. Did you come to church because your wife drugged you to church or are you here because you want to be here? We're called to be the head of our households and to lead our families to the Lord and to be the example to our kids. Did you know statistics say that when a mother brings her kids to the church, that kids are, it's like 65 to 70 percent likely to stay with the Lord. But when their fathers bring their kids to church, they are 95 percent likely to follow in the ways of God. Now, granted, don't walk out of here condemned because I was raised by a single mom. And she had to operate in both roles and look at where I'm standing today. So don't think that there's any excuse. You're with me. But we got to be mindful. Even in the areas of marriage, we have to be mindful of each, of each other. Don't you know that jealousy can be bad, but it can also be good? How do I know that it's good? Because God said that he is a jealous God and he wants no rivals. He wants nothing to take away our affections. So there is a godly jealousy that operates even in marriage. One thing that I was always taught is I should never give my wife a reason to distrust what I'm doing. Some of the standards that we've set in this church is even in counseling women that we will not counsel them behind closed doors. Why is this? Because we, we don't put confidence in our flesh. And we've seen in the news, we've seen prominent, powerful men of God fall. In this area. So we want to set safeguards. Can I go a bit further? You got to be careful who you represent and who you talk to on Facebook. I don't know how many times I've been in counseling sessions or premarital counseling sessions, my wife and I with couples. If you used to date them, cut them off. Oh, well, we're still friends. Oh, really? If y'all had some sort of intimate thing, who's to say that can't come back? Cut them off. If it's causing your wife or your husband to stumble, cut them off. Oh, well, I'm going out to lunch with this lady at my job, but I'm married. Bro, that's wrong. Can I submit to you? Put no confidence in your flesh. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of death. I've always taken that to mean, Brandon, never get to a point where you think you have anything figured out. As it relates to marriage, as it relates to fatherhood, as it relates to being a pastor, being a friend, I need you, Lord. I need your help. I know that I could fall like anyone. And so could my wife. But we want to set some safeguards. Is this helping anybody? Yes. Consideration for a brother or sister must motivate our decisions. Consideration for a brother or sister must motivate our decisions. The Apostle Paul understood the bigger picture. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without law, Gentiles, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Now watch this. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. How many of you have ever had times in your life where you felt weak, where you felt defeated, you felt dejected? We all have. And our comfort 
in our comforting of other people, we have to be mindful. They may not need a scripture at that moment. What they need is a hug. What they need is, I'm with you. I love you. You're going to get through this. Scripture may come later. And, and like I've had to learn this even in marriage. I can't fix everything. But what I can do is love you and let you know that I'm your biggest supporter. I'm your biggest fan. I'm here with you to the end, baby. I'm with you. But you know me, I want to share a scripture. I mean, I can think of this, this, and this. But you know what? That's not the time. I don't want a scripture. And sometimes, this is kind of a side note. Some of you in this place... I sense that some of you may be struggling in discerning whether something is coming from God or coming from Satan. Let me make this clear. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Your God says that he will cause all things to work together for the good of those that love God and all the called according to his purpose, this is why we say with Jesus, you are destined to win. This is why. This is why. But we have to be mindful of what we say. We have to be careful. And we have to be considerate of our brother, of our sister. And you know, even in that scripture, there's another one. When we look at Job, sometimes we'll look at Job and we'll say to ourselves, Well, didn't he say, um, you know, shall I not accept good and also bad from the Lord? You know one thing that Pastor Frank has taught me that's been monumental? When you look at the Old Testament, you got to understand that was an old covenant. They did not have Jesus at that time. Though he was present in shadows and types, that was an old covenant. But we are under a new covenant, a new dispensation of grace. So in the New Testament, we have to look at everything through the lens of receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So even, oh man, this is powerful. Even Job said in the scriptures, you can go back and look this up. I can't remember where it's found, but look it up. Trust me. He says in the scriptures, if only I had a mediator, if only I had one that could plead my case, that could be the go-between between me and God. But thanks be to Jesus that we have a mediator in Jesus, that he is our high priest that intercedes for us daily. And whenever I'm going through something, he's there to comfort me. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is also your mediator? In Romans 8.26, it says, even when you don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit makes groanings on the inside that cannot be uttered because the mind of the Spirit knows what the mind of God is and vice versa. Have you ever had a time where maybe you were in tears, maybe you were dejected going through a lot, and as you just sat there in contemplation, you began to experience a reservoir of living water, of help coming into your way? And you weren't saying a word, but yet something was turning on the inside of you. And for some of you, it could be a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise means you praise God in the midst of what you're going through, not when the breakthrough comes. You praise God and watch him move on your behalf. Are you guys with me? Waterbury, Atlanta, hopefully you guys are with me. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Consideration, conviction versus consideration. The next point that I want to make, and this is probably key here, no Christian can borrow another Christian's convictions. No Christian can borrow another Christian's convictions. You may be having a conversation with somebody and you say to yourself, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to adopt that. 
but it hasn't been well thought out. It's not something that God has confirmed in your heart. And you find yourself falling time and time again because God has not convicted you about that. He's convicted them, but he hasn't convicted you. And until he convicts you, walk in the peace of the Lord that he's given you. Are you with me? But if there is a conviction there, and yet you know that your brother, consider them. Consider your brother. Consider your sister. Listen to what this says. It is a sin to doubt whether an action is right, and yet go ahead and do it. Let me say that again. It is a sin to doubt whether an action is right, and yet go ahead and do it. Romans 14.23, one of the scriptures we read But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Sometimes we ask the Lord afterwards why. And the Lord will come and say, did I not give you a check in your spirit? You wanted this relationship, but I didn't. I told you not to pursue this. And there's grace. There's mercy. Don't feel condemned in this room. We all make mistakes, including me but I'm trying to save you the trouble. If there's a check in your spirit, there's a reason why. To give you a scenario, you could be going to Walmart to pick up a six-pack of Bud Light to have some fun with your friends watching a ball game, and yet you have a check in your spirit. You could be at dinner, having dinner with your wife or your spouse, and you have a check in your spirit about ordering wine. It works in various ways. But we have to be mindful of our brother because at the end of the day, are you willing to go the distance for someone else to draw closer to the Lord? Have you come to a place in your Christianity and your walk with God that you realize it's not about me, but it's about everyone that I'm seeking to witness to? In my marriage, when I'm on the basketball court, jaying up somebody, I mean, you know what? I want to be a witness. I want to be a witness for the Lord. On the flip side, it is also a sin to know what is right and not to do it based on James 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved? The Holy Spirit can be quenched? The Holy Spirit can literally become non-existent in your life when you ignore him for too long. That's why Paul told Timothy that you were seared with a hot iron. Meaning that your conscience, the Holy Spirit, has lost sensitivity in your life because of neglect and ignoring. But one thing that will revive the Holy Spirit in your life is the Word of God. The Word of God. Getting the Word of God on the inside of you because he feeds off of that. And watch this. I almost like to compare it to two dogs that are hungry. Whichever one you feed the most is going to dominate the most. If you feed your flesh, your flesh is going to dominate that day. If you feed your spirit, your spirit is going to dominate that day. You have a choice every day. Which one are you going to give into, your flesh or your spirit? One of my old youth pastors used to say it this way. Every day you wake up in the flesh, but you have a choice to get in the spirit, to operate, to walk, to be led by the spirit, or to remain in the flesh. It's a choice every day that we make when when we get up, whether it's a time of worship, time in the word. God wants us to be led by his Holy Spirit. I close with this. Yielding to the Holy Spirit will produce both. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, you will produce conviction 
and consideration at the same time. Let me prove it to you. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, And do not be drunk with, with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, all that that means, like you know when you're trying to get on the highway, or maybe when you're trying to let somebody in and you kind of let them get in front of you, you're yielding, like you're giving them the right of way. God wants us to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Have your way, whatever you want to do. But what's interesting, why is it that Paul would compare being drunk with alcohol to being filled with the Holy Spirit? And we have to travel to Acts chapter 2 to understand this. In Acts chapter 2, many of you know this. The, the disciples were assembled in the upper room. They were waiting on the promise that they would be filled by the Holy Spirit, which is something that Jesus told them. And the Bible says when they were assembled, that there was an earthquake, that there was a mighty sound. And the Holy Spirit came and, and, and planted on all of them, all of their heads, it, with tongues of fire. And they began to speak in tongues. I thank God that we are in a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues because I'll tell you this. When that happened in my life, I used to have a stuttering problem. I used to have a learning disability. To be able to quote scriptures like I'm doing today is nothing but the grace of God. And it came as a result of being open to the things of the Spirit. But as they were praying in the Spirit, the Bible says that they began to speak in tongues. And these were known languages. Because everybody that was in the area was there for what was called Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival. So people had come in from all over the world to experience this festival. And some of them were like, wait a minute. We hear them speaking our own language, but this is mind-boggling because they're Galileans. How is it that we hear them speaking our own language? They didn't have Rosetta Stone back then, you know? So how is it that we hear them speaking our own language? So it became a witness to them. But then there were other people that said, man, they're drunk. Now, how could they think that they were drunk if they were just standing there, oh, God, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, kumbaya. You know, <laughs> how could they think that they were drunk? I think they were excited. I think they were exuberant, that they were declaring the works of God. They were into it. They were lively. That's why I want to be in a church that's lively, that believes in the gifts of the Spirit and believes in worshiping the power of God. But watch this. They were under the influence. Their assessment was correct. They were under the influence, but it was not alcohol. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit takes over, there is something that changes on the inside of you. And the thing is, when you commune with the Lord, when you spend time with him, when you fellowship with him, when you create intimacy with him, intimacy, Lord. Search my heart, God. If there's anything that's in me, purge it out. When you have that heart towards the Lord, you begin to produce fruit, and that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love begins to emanate out of you. Joy begins to emanate out, out of you. Long-suffering, meekness, gentleness. It begins to exude out of you because you're being just like your Father. And God's wanting that from all of us. Be led by the Spirit and be convicted in your own mind what the Lord is leading you to do. But consider your brother or sister. Will you stand with me here in this place?